Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to say a very good morning to Stephen Ryan. Morning, Stephen. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody out there. I hope they're all snuggled up and warm somewhere because <laughs> it's been pretty cold the it's last few days. It's been freezing. Oh, it has really been cold. I mean, yesterday I was... Tidying up at the nursery because I've got a truckload of potting mix arriving on Monday morning and I have to clear the whole driveway of stock. So uh, every time a truckload comes in, there's this huge big thing of moving things around to get them out of the way. And then as soon as the truck pulls out, the things get pushed back into the driveway again. And uh, even with all that physical exercise yesterday, my fingertips were frozen and I was really cold. It was... uh, very brisk indeed. It but was. There were a few brave souls out. There was a few people popped into the nursery. Oh, and good. Bought themselves a few plants yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Oh, good on them. And, uh, yeah, so uh, it's always good to see the brave ones who will come out uh, on the cold weather. And actually, they're often the ones that are actually there for a purpose, whereas <laughs> often if it's a nice sunny day, you get lots of people who come in for a look, which is lovely, but it doesn't translate into anything in the till as a rule. Um, so, um, yeah, so it's good to see people who come in with a, a passion and... Uh, particularly if they're enthusiastic gardeners who want something different for their garden and they're under 50. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I get quite excited now by younger people who get enthused by their gardens because I I have to say I think that when I first started my nursery back in the 80s, there was this whole group of enthusiastic plants people out there, uh, most of which were slightly more advanced in years, but having said that, I'm in that age group easily by now, Um, and they were my sort of main buyers. They'd come in, they knew their plants, they, or if they didn't know what it was, they wanted it anyway because they didn't know it, Uh, and... um, those people have slowly been disappearing for obvious reasons. Uh, and there hasn't been the huge number, I don't think, of younger people taking their place. Okay. Uh, I mean, there's lots of young people gardening and there's lots of young people growing vegetables and there's lots of young people getting involved in horticulture in one way or another. Growing indoor plants. <coughs> growing indoor plants, which seems to be the That's thing at the moment. the thing. Yeah, the thing. Everybody has to have... It makes me laugh, actually. I remember the 60s when yeah. you had to have a rubber tree and an anodized <laughs> pot uh, or a monstera or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And now it's all coming back again, um, which is all great. I mean, that's all gardening. I have no objection to that. But to see a young person who comes in and says, you know, have you got an Elysium or a Kelmia or something else that's not a particularly commonly grown plant is always exciting. And I had the most gorgeous young woman come in yesterday who's an Oxalis collector. Ah, (laughs) So I was very excited. She she walked out very pleased because she, I think she bought seven Oxalises for her her collection. Yes, we had a lovely chat and I told her about the Facebook page for Oxalis nerds and all sorts of stuff, and, yeah, it was great fun. Fantastic. So, yeah, so it is good when you meet somebody like that that's a really enthusiastic horticulturalist. Absolutely. So, yep. yes, more well power done. to them. Yep, well done. We have to also say a very warm good morning to both Gwen and Roger Elliott. Good morning. Hello, everyone. Hello, everybody. It's a while since we've been here, Pam. It has been a while, yes. <laughs> have you been busy or just hiding? Just hiding. <laughs> Oh, getting sidetracked. Busy too. Getting sure sidetracked all the time. Organising all sorts of talks for oh, friends yeah. of Cranbourne. Yeah, oh. 
just been organising a tour for USA in 2022, which oh, will be fantastic. Oh, God, that's an awful long way away, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or it seems like it. Costa Rica later this year yeah. with the friends. And oh, Mildura oh, next week. You swan week. around a tad, don't you? Oh, a little bit. Oh. <laughs> now, that's like growing a slow-growing tree when you're... More mature. Yes, exactly. Yes, you plan <laughs> for the... look forward to yeah, constantly. Yeah, plan plan for it for several years ahead. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, when you hit 80, you should plant a tree that takes 20 years to flower. Yep. Uh, yeah, well, that's what the Queen Mother, I think, said that. They, mm. She planted a magnolia or got the gardener too. But, but ma'am, that'll take 20, 30 years yeah. to flower. And she said, yes, well, that'll give me something to look forward to. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. exactly. I, I have that plan. You know, if I actually make it to 80, I intend planting something that takes a long time to flower. Good on you. I might put in a firewheel tree or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. Actually, I just planted a Illawarra flame tree you recently. Okay. Um, I'd seen the new ones go in near the art centre. Um, where they took the Currajongs out to plant the Illawarra flame trees, which I still can't quite get my head around. But anyhow, uh, they've planted the Illawarra flame trees there, and the foliage is so glossy and beautiful. Yes. Uh, it is just such a lovely tree. And I had one in a pot at the nursery, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to have a crack at that at Macedon, see what happens. Mm. So it's been planted, installed in the garden in a nice sheltered site. Good. And if it, if I don't live long enough to see it flower, I'll enjoy its foliage. Yeah. That's right. So I don't sort of care, although if it does flower, I'll throw a big party. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As you can. I tell you what, I was delighted. My youngest daughter, um, in the, she lives in a, she owns a unit in a block of four uh, units. Mm. They had to take out a big, massive cypress pine mm. recently because it had been dropping branches and, uh. you know, just missing cars and all the rest of it. Um, and uh, they were told by the arborist to choose a tree. Part of the condition of that tree coming down was they had to plant something else. Yeah, which is fair which enough. Which is fair enough mm. that by the council. So um, <clears throat> uh, John... Um, Oh, I can't think now. Who's the arborist? Oh, John Fordham. John Fordham um, gave her a list of a whole lot of possible trees mm. to have a look at and select. And I was really pleased with her because she's chosen an Illawarra Wallaf- flame tree. <laughs> well, I think that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. You know, good on you. She yeah. went through and looked at all the... Mind you, I had to help compile a list of, of their characteristics and yeah. sent through a photo of each one. But... Mm. but I didn't influence her decision in any way, and she's chosen that one. So I thought, yeah, well, great. Good on her. Yeah. There's been influence somewhere along the line. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, it's probably genetic. <laughs> uh, but, yes, those sorts of trees. I mean, it does annoy me that people will uh, be put off planting something because it takes a long time to flower, particularly if it's a beautiful tree in its own right anyway. So the flowers are almost just an added bonus yeah. for some of those trees, yeah. I think, because they're such lovely trees anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Please plant things that take a while. I mean, uh, everybody seems to be into instant gardening, and it's it's a bit sad, really. It's very sad. Yeah, I yes. like to see things growing. Absolutely. And then, of course, you go get back to the old problem that they don't ever think about soil preparation beforehand. They're so mm. keen uh, to yeah. whop something in the ground instantly, and then they wonder why they mm. have no I success. Sp- I spend an awful lot of time, particularly in, on my side of town, where you've got you know, all the Keeler Plains and you know, all out to the uh, western suburbs and things, where there's all those heavy clay reactive soils, um, and people are so keen to get something in. And I say, look, 
if you spent 12 months preparing your ground and then planted some stuff, you'd probably find that they would outstrip quite quickly the things that you put in right now. Yep. So you're actually gaining time by being patient and getting things done properly. Don't just put a, a two-inch layer of topsoil over your clay and then just plant into that <laughs> and expect things to work. Exactly. So, yes, you need to do some soil preparation or you need to plant the things that are completely and utterly attuned to that soil type, which yep. can limit what you can plant, but it, you can still have a nice garden. Uh, but you certainly don't sort of go out and buy your fruit trees and buy your citrus tree and, you know, plant your vegetable seedlings and all that in unprepared soil. Exactly. It doesn't make any sense. No. Oh, it also helps, I think, if, if you hang around for about 12 months, you can find out where the sun comes from. Exactly. Yeah. How, That's how the much, other issue. How much sun you get. Yeah. Where, where does it, you know, prevailing winds come from? Yeah. Well, I get and people regularly. Every direction yeah. last night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there is that. Uh, but I regularly get people come in and they say, oh, I want to plant something. And I go through the, you know, the usual questions. Is it a sunny? Is it a shady site? And, and they'll sometimes come up with, oh, it's shady. And then five minutes later, they're saying, oh, it gets all the hot afternoon sun in the summer. And you think, well, no, then it's not shady. <laughs> you know, so people haven't really sort of no. worked no. out what their garden is all about. Yes. And that makes a huge difference in the selection of plants. Oh, gosh, yes. So, yeah, so it is a good idea to, to garden slowly. Uh, and take your time about it. Uh, and it's much more fun anyway. I mean, if you could actually install your garden tomorrow, it'd be done. And you'd say, well, what was that all about? Mm. Yeah. But doing it gradually and gently and planting on a, uh, a semi-regular basis so that you can enjoy each plant as it goes in, I think that's all part of the charm mm. and joy of gardening. Absolutely. Personally. Yeah. I think, you know, going on from what we've been talking about, for people thinking, what the heck's an Illawarra flame tree? <laughs> you might have guessed that it's got red flowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think it also emphasises the importance of our public gardens, our botanic gardens, mm. our community gardens, um, because that's where you're going to be able to see um, mature plants of things like the slow to flower, Illawarra flame tree. And once it starts flowering, of course, you'll get flowers every year. Yeah. Yes, it's but not once in a 20-year sort of cycle no, and no. then you've got to wait another 20 years or once it starts. the other, mm. you know, trees, um, long-term shrubs that you don't see in the latest landscape gardens, but this is the real importance of our botanic gardens, mm. our community gardens, uh, whether you go there to visit, whether you go there to volunteer. Uh, they're very important places that we should be contributing to and enjoying yeah. because, um, and, you know, Mr Google can tell you all about the Illawarra flame tree and what it looks like. And you might even be able to find information um, on computers as to where you can see one growing. But contact your local gardens and, um, you know. Yes, they certainly stand out of their own accord once they're actually in bloom. Oh, yeah. When, well, when they're in flower that? around yeah. Melbourne, I mean, your eye's caught immediately <coughs> by them. They are the most dramatic tree. Because uh, they lose some of their That's right. It's one of those plants that when lose they flower. If you... If you see it dropping lots of leaves, there's probably a fair chance it's going to flower for you. Yeah. Mm. Which is an odd thing panic. to look yeah, forward to. Yeah. Some <laughs> people panic. Mine's lo- they run yeah, up yeah, on yeah. the station sometimes. Yeah. My Illawarra flame tree's losing its leaves. You Congratulations. Know, what, what should I feed it? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, natural. And look, I, I have to say, staying on that topic a wee bit, the Illawarra flame tree also illustrates the fact that natives aren't all dry, sticky, twiggy, oh, no. grey things. Oh, I mean, no. there's lots of Australian native plants that have... All 
all sorts of other characteristics, uh, and certainly a lot of our rainforest plants and things uh, don't look like what people can sort of had this concept in their mind that a native plant should look like. Mm. So, you know, our, our flora is so diverse, you know, there's, there's things that will suit every sort of garden and oh, every right. taste. Right. I mean, I wouldn't see my garden necessarily as a native garden, although I garden under old eucalypts and mm. things, uh, but I plant mainly exotic plants. But, you know, my Illawarra flame tree looks perfectly at home in amongst rhododendrons, oh, azaleas, yeah. bamboos, oh. all the weirdo things that I'm likely to have in my garden. Um, mm. It's just yet another component with fantastic leaves. Mm. Yep. And so I don't even, in a sense, think about it as being native, even though I know it is. It's just a fantastic foliage tree. Exactly. Mm. You yep. know, so, and should be planted a lot more, as should its relatives. Yep. And I think also people shouldn't rake up the flowers when they fall on the ground because mm. that, that colour will stay on the ground. Because the, the flowers often don't last very long. They do drop quite quickly. And it's the same with brachychite and discolour. Yeah. Uh, the lace bark, which has brilliant pink flowers, quite large. And you can just get a carpet of pink, mm. you know, underneath. Yeah. And things. that can be just as pretty oh, as anything. Yeah. yeah. As long yeah. as you don't slide on the path. No. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, but, yeah, so there you go. So lovely, interesting native tree that people perhaps should be looking at planting. I mean... I don't see it as a tree that in one person's lifetime is ever going to get too big for an average garden. So if you're looking for an interesting foliage tree, mm. uh, and if it does flower within your lifetime, woohoo, what yeah. excitement. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay, it's time I got to some community announcements. First up, <clears throat> if you haven't planned for anything today and you want something indoors, uh, the Maribyrnong Orchid Society have got their winter show on today. Uh, the venue is the Maribyrnong Community Centre, which is in Randall Street in Maribyrnong. Entry is $5. Uh, the times are 9am through to 4pm. And uh, there's going to be all the usual things. Lots of floral displays, uh, lots of potting demonstrations and advice. There's raffles, um, you name it. There'll be Devonshire teas. Plenty of parking available, uh, so that's all happening today, starting from 9 o'clock, running through until 4 o'clock. Now, also uh, coming up, Sunday 28th of July, and I know a lot of our listeners love to go to this one, uh, the uh, Werribee Park Heritage Fruit Tree Festival is on again. This is their, their winter festival, of course. Um, <coughs> as I said, Sunday the 28th of July, 10 a.m., through to 3 p.m. Uh, it's at Werribee Park Farm. There'll be uh, lots of uh, live folk music, food and wine, face painting, um, a maker's market, fruit tree sales, grafts and demonstrations, talks and tours. So it's all happening down there. Again, it is a free community event. Uh, now, uh, you enter via Gate 5, which is K Road, Werribee South, uh, gold coin for parking, BYO bags for purchases, and uh, try and uh, share the, the word around, share the event on social media. But uh, uh, it's always um, a great event to go to. You'll learn so much about um, grafting. Uh, and, of course, you can pick up cyan wood. You can pick up already grafted uh, heritage fruit trees there. Lots and lots happening. So that's 28th of July for that one. Now, uh, coming up uh, 3rd of August, and this is in conjunction with uh, their next workshop, Friends of Burnley Gardens. They have a winter plant sale coming up Saturday, 3rd of August, 11 till 2. And as I said, this is in conjunction with a pruning workshop. 
but just to complete the information on the plant sale first, um, there'll be a selection of native and exotic trees and shrubs, perennials, bulbs, succulents, indoor and food plants, and you can go to their website for the full plant list. Um, it will take place on the lawn behind the student amenity building. Just follow the signs. Entrance, entrance is via uh, Yarra Boulevard, um, parking on Yarra Boulevard, no car access to the campus itself. Payment for um, any of the plants is by cash only and, of course, funds raised go to Burnley Gardens projects. Now, um, uh, you can... Let me see their, their website, if you want to look at that plant list, www.fobg.org.au. Now, as I mentioned, it's in conjunction with a pruning workshop uh, and this is being held with Chris England... Uh, now, it starts at 10 a.m. again, Saturday, 3rd of August, 10 a.m. through to 1 p.m. Uh, you can learn to prune different types of fruit trees, apples, pears, peaches, nectarines, plums and citrus. Learn to keep trees healthy and to a workable height and to recognise the different types of growth and prune for maximum fruit. Now, it's a small group workshop you'll, where you'll have a go under an expert's watchful eye suitable for beginners or as a refresher for experienced pruners. Uh, now, as I mentioned, it starts at 10, finishes at 1. Cost for members of the Friends Group, $55. For non-members, $70. That includes morning tea. You need to BYO clean secateurs. Um, all plant material is supplied. Uh, please wear closed shoes for health and safety requirements. And the venue is uh, PSL 6 at Burnley Campus, uh, which, as I said, is 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. Numbers are limited, so you do need to book. Bookings are essential via Try Booking. Uh, so, uh, and I'm sure if you go to their website again, all that information will be up there uh, in regard to booking that one. Now, just one more that I should mention. Now, uh, this is a talk being presented by the Alpine Garden Society Victorian Group and they're presenting Oron Perry from Israel. Now, Oron is a botanist, nurseryman, garden designer and leader of botanical tours in many parts of the world. He's owner of Seeds of Peace, a nursery specialising in rare bulbous plants and uh, this is an opportunity to uh, hear him speak on his first visit to Australia. Now, it's taking place 24th of August, so this is definitely one for the diary. And on that day, he'll be presenting two talks, Bulbs of the Mediterranean and Alpine and Other Plants of Chile. It'll all take place at Alinda Community Hall, 12.30, running through till 5pm. Afternoon tea will be provided. If you're a member of the Alpine Garden Society, the cost is $25. If you're a non-member, $45. Um, and if you'd like any more information or to purchase tickets, go to agsvicgroup, or one word, at hotmail.com. So that's agsvicgroup at hotmail.com for that one. Okay, Roger, you've got a couple of things happening down at Cranbourne. We have, Pam. Um, it's the Growing Friends Winter Plant Sale being held on the 27th and 28th of July. 
so last weekend of July. And uh, sales start at 10am, go through to 4pm on both days. And there's a huge range of things to purchase. And if people want to have a look at what's available, you can go to the Friends website, which has got a great big long name. The three W's and it's R-B-G, Friends, Cranbourne, all one word, dot org, dot au. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Hope, <laughs> yes. Hopefully it makes sense. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, they, they have the listing of the plants there. But uh, ranging from small tubes up to probably, I don't know, they might have some 30-centimetre pots and various things. Gwen, mm-hmm. Gwen would know more about the size of the plants. Well, they no, the, the biggest range is in um, a small, uh, like a, the old three-inch pot, and they're $5. So, you know, you can do quite a lot in your garden. I brought in a couple today. Yeah, neither um, of which Stephen knew, so no, it's fantastic. That's why I brought them, I thought. <laughs> yes. You know, the thing is with these botanic garden sales and, uh, you know, other... Um, yeah, specialist sales groups and that. And, yep. Specialist groups, you can get things that you can't get at um, every box store, sort of exactly. thing. Exactly. It's not this potted colour, four for ten dollars or something. Two that I've got in, as I said, um, Stephen hadn't heard of, and that's why I chose them because I think they're nice plants. Um, and uh, so you will find things there that are different, unusual, and there's also uh, there's a big group of volunteers growing friends at the Cranbourne and Melbourne Gardens, and so there's people there who can talk to you and tell you, and if the person you're talking to has never heard of these two either, they'll say, look, go and ask Joe Blow, you yep, know, yep. or... Yeah, there'll Blogs. be somebody there that knows about them. She's a specialist in eremophilas. We've got a specialist in the group called eremophila. Not everybody can grow them in Melbourne, um, but, you know, you might be in an area where they do fine, and Chris can certainly, you know, say, look, try this one and try that one. And for $5, you can try oh, something. Gosh, yes. It's the price Have of a fun. cup of coffee. Well, exactly. Yeah. That's what I always say to people. You know, you, you worry about a plant, whether you can grow it or not, but sometimes it's worth spending that little bit of money to try. Um, you know, unless you buy them and try them, you know, you know, often you know people will ask me how to grow something, and you'll give them the the patter about you know where the plant should be and what sort of soil it likes and all that sort of stuff. But regularly, I see that same plant growing in conditions that you don't expect oh, it to grow in. Right. Yeah, uh, I can give you a very good example, hopefully quite quickly. There was an elderly lady who bought from me a lapageria, the Chilean bellflower. Mm-hmm. And they like it cool, they like uh, an acid soil, um, they like humidity, you know. And so I went through the whole thing about how to grow it and all that sort of thing. And I could see she wasn't really paying that much attention, (laughs) but she'd seen this thing in flower, she was going to have it. So she bought it, and she happened to be the mother of a lady that I've known for donkey's years. And I bumped into this friend of mine in Melbourne one day, it was just before Christmas, and she said, I'll come round for a, a drink at mum's house and you can see her plant she bought from you and I went oh she's actually still got it alive so I tootled off to Camberwell um, and went out into this backyard that was almost all swimming pool no shade trees out in full hot sun and here is her lapageria growing in a water well pot on a wire frame one of those sort of tomato frame things with about 30 flowers on it uh, <laughs> out in the full sun I didn't have the heart to tell her she'd done all the wrong things because the plant was working yeah. so it's worth a try oh, of course yeah. it is you know, so, and especially if you're only paying five bucks she spent a lot more on the lapageria than five dollars I bet um, but yeah nonetheless I'm very happy to have a crack at things and, yeah. and if it doesn't work well it's not a lot of money, and you just never know. Exactly. You know, so, yeah, so 
go along to these sales, buy something you've never heard of before, mm. and you know, get the local information from the people there, but still be prepared to have a crack at something that doesn't sound like it might work in your garden because you just never know. Exactly. Mm. Yep. I know some plants have a really wide range of adaptability. Just think of the Hymenostrum flavum, the mm. native frangipani. It's a rainforest tree, and you see it thriving in places like Mildura. Yep. And, yes. And so. Uh, Provided that they get something good around their roots that helps the roots grow. Yeah. And it's amazing what some yeah. plants Well, I regularly get people from interstate come in, oh, you wouldn't have anything I could grow. Yeah, yeah. And I think, well, I've got South African bulbs, uh, I've got uh, subtropical canna lilies, uh, I've got all sorts of things that uh, might even be borderline for me, but they grow. Yeah. And some people might even grow them better than I do. Mm. So there you go. Yep. Okay, now the other event at Cranbourne. Oh, fine. This, this is on Saturday the 3rd of August, Pam, at 2pm. We've got Peter Betts. Peter Betts is a professor of tectonics, Ooh. which he talks all, you know, he, he works about how these things move under the earth and come butting into each other and other yes, things. And but anyway, he's going to talk about the earth moves in mysterious ways. Okay. And he, he's a really excellent presenter. And... Uh, he, he actually, he was a plumber's son, and he's become a, an earth science Right. Well, he started, he started from somebody who yeah. works with the ground. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So he's going to illustrate, you know, how earth sciences actually image the earth today and what this information tells us um, about our planet. And, of uh, course, you know, we, we, we gardeners, it's good to know what happens underneath pretty oh. important in lots of ways. Yeah, you know? It certainly so, is. So, so he's going to talk about that. And uh, he'll also talk about the, what he calls the dynamic geology of the, what we stand on in Melbourne too. So that's oh. two. Is two. that going to scare everyone? Yeah. Is the earth <laughs> going to move for us? <laughs> well, it wasn't that, like, that long ago that we had volcanoes hurtling around. True. You know. True. Geologically speaking. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, what, I think six or 8,000 years ago around Melbourne, I think. Really? Well, yeah. well that's actually quite recent, really. Yeah, Almost yeah. feels like yesterday. Yeah. Um, so that's being held at the Cranbourne Gardens and it's corner of Bellato Road and Botanic Drive, Cranbourne, 2 p.m. to 3.30. And uh, there's cost. Members $20, non-members 25 and students at 10 And uh, the, the money's raised from these events goes back into the gardens for various programs. Mm. So that's so the, well role, the role, role of the friends. So yep. uh, they help uh, raise money. And uh, just in the last half of last year, I think it was about $90,000, of which mo- about half of that's going to possum-proof their whole nursery. Okay. Because they do have... Bit of a bit of a problem with possums, and the other expenditures going on in the bush areas um, to I'm attract possums. No, <laughs> from the wallaby problem. From the wallaby problem. Goodness me! So, because you know the gardens at Cranbourne, three hundred and twenty odd hectares or whatever, it's all fenced uh, to keep feral animals out. Um, and the wallaby population has built up, but they do have gates where wallabies can go in and out and wombats can go in and out and other things can go in and out. But it has built up. And in some areas, uh, wallabies just browse on anything. Yes. And so uh, especially some areas where there's some fairly unusual orchids and things like that, they're actually 
uh, fencing off, so the friends have helped uh, mm. provide money for that. Mm. How do you book for that, Roach? Yeah, you can go, once again, go to the website mentioned before, three W's, rbgfriendscranbourne.org.au, and you'll find a booking form there. Uh, but, look, if for some reason you... It's really nice to know... Uh, how many people are coming because you will get uh, afternoon coffee, cake and stuff like that uh, but if for some reason you, you can't book roll up and there will be an FPOS machine there okay. Roger, if you haven't got a, um, a um, computer uh, is there a phone number you can ring to book? Uh, look, you could probably contact 8774-2483 Excellent oh. In business hours I assume Oh no! Yeah, that that'll be right. That that person that that person will talk to people any time. I think. Oh, fantastic! It's not the gardens. It's not the gardens. No, all right. Okay, great. All right, Um, Stephen. All right. Let's let's start with a plant. All right, let's start with a plant. All right, I've got an interesting little thing here that's very rarely grown commercially anymore. Uh, It's a dwarf berberus. Uh, it's one of the little evergreen ones, and it goes under the wheelbarrow name of Berberus stenophylla corallina compacta. (laughs) Oh. Smaller the plant sometimes, the longer the, the longer name. The longer the name. It, it just seems to be the way it is. Now, it's a dwarf evergreen berberus. Um, it only grows to probably about 30, 40 centimetres tall, a little wider than it is tall. It has a little bit of a suckering habit. It doesn't run, but you'll, you'll end up with bits coming up a little further out. So it'll generally be broader than it is tall. Mm-hmm. Uh, its foliage is slightly prickly uh, and very dark green. And normally towards the end of winter, I picked this one up because it's just got a few little flowers on it so you can see what they look like. Uh, but normally they're in bigger clusters than that. And they're a bright sort of tangerine colour. And against the dark green foliage, when you've got a plant of this in full bloom, it is quite spectacular because the dark green and the tangerine yellowy-orange really do set each other off quite well. It's reasonably hardy. It doesn't want to be in a completely dry, drought-ridden spot, but you know, just average garden conditions will suit it. It'll tolerate a little bit of shade um, <clears throat> and certainly most of the sun. And so if you're looking for a dwarf shrub, uh, for perhaps a, a rock garden or a pot or something like that, uh, that has nice presence all year round with its glossy dark green leaves, makes a splash of colour in the late winter, uh, then you could do worse than get a Berberus stenophylla corallina compacta. <laughs> uh, I actually had labels printed for that because I got sick of writing it. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very long name. Um, so it's a really interesting little shrub, and the Berberuses uh, are an interesting group of plants and a much larger one now than they once were because all the mahonias are being mm, dumped in with them. Right. Yes. Uh, so it's quite a big genus, and it's one that uh, there's lots of hybridity in it and... Uh, I mean, if you haven't got a name on a Berberus, it can be pretty hard to put one on. Uh, the botanists pull their hair out when you bring in a specimen of a Berberus <laughs> to have it ID'd. Uh, but I think they're a, an interesting group of plants. And one of the characteristics that is of no particular value from a horticultural point of view is they nearly all have yellow roots. Okay. okay, okay. <laughs> but, you know, uh, unless you tap it out of the pot or grow it in a clear pot. Unless uh, they're edible. Yeah, and they're not edible, so, but they do have yellow roots <laughs> and also yellow wood inside the stems as okay. well. So right. it's one of the characteristics of that group yeah. of plants. They all seem to have that yellow. And, in fact, Berberidaceae, the family, tends to have that. Not everything, but most things within that family have yellow roots and yellow inside the stems. Mm, okay. Great. So there you go. Okay. I, I was wandering around, as you do, the bottom of Mount Etna last Last year. Oh, you name dropper you. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, here's a Berberus there. Yeah. 
endemic to that area? Yeah. Oh, they're all over Ber- the place. Berberous. Well, you can be on Mount Etna or you can yeah. be in the Andes yeah. and you'll find a, oh, a, right. a native Berberus there. I mm. saw Berberus when I was in Chile uh, growing in the mountains there. Uh, so it's a, a genus that extends all over. Mm. And there's one or two edible Berberuses, um, Berberus um, vulgaris, produces edible berries uh, and is quite popular in Europe. Uh, some of them have lovely autumn colour, uh, some of the deciduous ones, uh, and they can vary in height remarkably. I mean, that one's one of the smaller growing Berberus, and it's actually a hybrid. It's not a wild species, Stenophylla. Um, uh, but they can grow into almost small trees, some of them, mm. and some of them have really vicious thorns. They do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if you're going to grow a rose bush, I can't see there's any excuse for not planting a berberus. So oh, there. Well, yeah. roses only have prickles anyway. They yeah. don't have thorns. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. they're normally hooked as well, so they go in and don't come out again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and uh, if you'd like to look at photos, of course, uh, of all the plants that we're talking about this morning. Uh, and even can... some we might not get to. Yes, you can go to our Facebook <laughs> page or to Instagram and uh, just type in 3CR Gardening Show and it'll all be there. So uh, just a reminder. Also, uh, we should open up our lines for talkback. If you'd like to uh, join the conversation this morning, we'd love to hear from you. That number is 94190155 to speak to uh, Stephen, Gwen or Roger. Or if you'd like to have a chat to Carol on the outside line, the number is 94198377. Roger, pick a plant. <laughs> I'll Out of a... all the many you've brought in. Yeah, it's this great big pile of stuff. This is a bedraggled one, but uh, actually the picture on the Facebook page is much better than this. This, okay. this is nearly two weeks old. It's oh, been, right. been cut. And I yep. thought it's interesting that a, a hakea, some hakeas do are good cut flowers, but this is a, a hakea called Burundong Beauty. Now, there was a real great buzz went around the botanical world when they saw this plant up at Burundong Arboretum, which is up mm. near Wellington. Cause New they, South Wales. In New yes, South Wales. Not, uh, not, not New Wellington Zealand. and New Zealand, yes. No, no. <laughs> and uh, they, they thought it was actually an extinction extinct species but it's turned it's actually a hybrid uh-huh. a hybrid between a little low spreading plant called hachimertoides which has bright pinkish red flowers and then a big tall plant hachiopetialaris which has the purplish color in the flowers but anyway it it's um Sometimes has been sold as a low-growing plant, but don't believe that. Okay. No. So it doesn't veer towards that parent particularly. No, no. <laughs> it, it, it's got the horizontal growth on yeah. it. Yeah. If you've got a pair of secateurs, oh, yeah, it can be low-growing And you can like do, do some lovely shaping with it, you yeah. know, um, if you wish. Um, but it, it, it'll probably get up two to three metres high and maybe three can be four metres across. Mm. Mm. So quite a substantial shrub, yeah. potentially. Yeah, it is. Mm. And it... Um, it tolerates a whole range of conditions, um, doesn't mind even slightly alkaline soils, does best in slightly acidic soils, but, you know, sand, clay, loam, it does pretty well and does well in Melbourne here. Mm. So for people who aren't looking at their computers at the moment, yep. the flowers um, are sort of all stamens and extend for... 15 centimetres along. Yeah, all We've the got way along the stems. Two yeah. branches here, like a V, mm. uh, and they go right along. They are a combination of pink and creamy white. So you've got this, and with leaves in between all the way along the stem. So Slightly greyish green foliage. Mm. Yeah. And Small uh, leaves, not great big things that hide the flowers. They just sort of almost look part of the flowering stem. And it's good for directing traffic. 
Mm. Too, if you don't want things to go in certain areas, you plant that. Okay. It's quite rigid. Yep. Yeah, and, and it's, um, the leaves have got uh, a bit of stiffness and prickliness to them. But if you've picked that, did you say four weeks ago? No, no, nearly two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, but even so, I mean, the that's flowers have kept value. their colour. That's yeah. good value. That's good yeah. value as yeah. a cut flower. Yes, yeah. I'll say. And, and quite a lot of the other, some of the, um, oh, the large flowered hakeas, hakea francisiana and buculenta and those sort, they're, they're quite good cut flowers. Mm. And so you can cut them and they last for quite a while. Mm. Yeah. Fantastic. Excellent. Okay. Uh, that number again, uh, if you'd like to uh, talk to Stephen, Gwen or Roger, 94190155 or to speak to Carol on the outside line, 94198377. Gwen, have um, a go. Yeah, well, that one will be at the Cranbourne Friends Sale in okay. a couple of weeks. Oh, great. 27th and 28th of July, that weekend, down at Cranbourne Gardens. I've got three that I'll mention very quickly that will also be available down there. This one, Tetratheca thymophilia. Now, I know Stephen loves common names. This <laughs> common name is Black-Eyed Susan. Yeah. But oh. the problem is it's not alone. No, um, there's other no, things called Black-Eyed yeah. Susan that aren't of, related. A lot of Susans with black eyes, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, don't know There's a bit Susan of family was. violence going on around there <laughs> somewhere. But uh, the Tetratheca is a lovely little thing, and it, 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 we see Tetratheca growing up. In mm-hmm. the stony areas up around our area, yeah. uh, which is pretty, and always look forward to it in the spring when it comes out. Well, see, it's even flowers in winter, mm. so you've got these mauve, almost purplish, yeah, mauve flowers, um, oh, a couple of centimetres across, um, with a black centre, yes. if you haven't worked that out. But you're driving along, and all of a sudden it's, oh, stop, wow. Mm. You know, they're very eye-catching in the bush and they're also very pretty in the garden. Mm. Only a little plant grows about half a metre high um, and, you know, occurs... There are several tetrathecas, but this one's thymophilia and there will be some plants in flower down at Cranbourne or you might I choose... I think they'll go quite quickly, those ones. I, I think they will. Really and, and it does sucker. Yeah, so you'll not, end up not, with a little bit of a thicket of it. Not madly, mm. but there's a white-flowered variant, which I think is a wonderful plant, and it, it suckers more than this one. Mm. And even just to have a drift of the, the white and the, the mauvey purple together. Yeah, uh, yeah it'd be good. great. It, it probably doesn't have the most delightful floral scent. Mm. Uh, whereas but it's, it's not, not overpowering. Not overpowering. Oh, no, no. No. But tetra, the ciliata, the one that you've got up here, mm. that has a much sweeter scent than this. Mm. This is from New South Wales, Queensland. Oh, well, that, that explains yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but uh, but good, good, reliable plants. I think, I think we should... I think people get worried when they hear the word sucker. Mm. Oh, yes. yes. I yeah. think we should clarify. I mean, there's good suckering and there's bad yeah. suckering. Yeah. And, and this is good suckering. Yeah. Yes. And the thing is, though, that people, a lot of people have this idea that when they plant something, it should stay exactly where they put it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they feel like they've lost control if the plant actually moves around a bit. And I actually see that as a bonus in lots of cases because oh. it'll help fill a patch in the garden better well, than... It's, it's multiplying, but it's not, it's not sending yeah, it's not suckers up all over the no, garden. No. Yes. no, not like the raspberries that are coming up through the back fence to my nursery from oh, right. the next door neighbour who thought it was a good idea to plant raspberries along the back fence. Uh, great. <laughs> uh, the other two I mentioned very quickly that we have got at the Cranbourne sale, but you'd have trouble finding in most places. You might get the Karanga nursery, but I don't know where else in yeah. uh, you'd get. This first one, uh, not many people have ever heard of because it hasn't got many relatives. It's not like a, a grevillea with a hundred species or a, a acacia or something. Graptophyllum 
excelsum. Now, there's just a handful of these, um, and this is, I call it a wow plant. Its common name is scarlet fuchsia, not mm-hmm. at all related to no, fuchsia. No. Completely different family of plants, hence yeah. the problem that you get with yeah. some common names. Um, small, shiny, dark green leaves, and then the flowers are a little bit like an eremophila, if you mm. know eremophilas, but a rich, rich um, red. Uh, mm. A very nice plant. It can get to a large shrub in um, northern Australia where it grows naturally, but we've grown them in shade at Heathmont, in sand at Cranbourne, uh, and they're in a much sunnier position, and they've done well in both spots, so it's well worth giving a try. Um, and we've only grown it to less than a metre tall. Oh, uh, no, one Heathmont got a couple of metres high. But uh, they do respond well to pruning, so if you could, you, you could actually make a hedge. Actually, it's got a nice small leaf. If, yeah. if it grows bushy enough, it would actually be quite a good hedging yeah. plant, no, actually. Yeah, well, actually, Stephen's going to try I'm going to plant it. Yeah. Macedon, so he's got all the information yeah. about it. But yeah. it's in the acanthus family, yeah. and there's, a, there's quite a few Australian plants in that family. You don't see many of them in cultivation. But no, which uh, is sort of probably sad because yeah. a lot of the acanthaceous plants have really quite showy flowers, yeah. so yeah. Uh, we should yeah. see more of them about. Yeah. And another uncommon one, which we've got down at Cranbourne, uh, it hasn't got a common name, which is driving Stephen mad. Um, <laughs> it looks very like a chorea, but it is not. Nematolepis thebaleoides. Yay, um, what a great botanical. <laughs> um, its flowers are sort of pink and green like a chorea. You'd actually think it... it Cursorily looking at that when it, you brought it in, you would, ass- you would assume Coria or yeah, I did, I did. Except well, if you're driving in Western Australia, hang on a minute, there aren't any Corias yeah. in Western <laughs> Australia. Oh, one, one just gets across the border from oh, South it Australia. Might, might mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's perhaps moved a little bit across. But mm-hmm. what were you going to say, though? It's in the same family as Coria. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. related, it's in the, you know, lemon family, Rutaceae family. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, it's got a nice crisp look about the leaves too. It is, yeah. yeah. Nice glossy, sort of rich green foliage. I'm assuming it makes a nice sort of compactish bush or can be. Struck to about a metre. Metre. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, so quite small. Yeah. What about shade or sun tolerance? I've got Both. our label at Cranbourne says sun to part shade, so I hope they've got it right. No, they have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, good container plant, prune to maintain shape. So we have got little... Little labels that um, have been produced down at Cranbourne that tell you a bit about the plants you're buying. Good. As I said, if you want them, 27th, 28th of July down at Cranbourne. It is a variable species, like lots of plants. You know, you get a whole range. And uh, it comes from southern Western Australia, around Esperance area, through through that area. goes inland a little bit. Sometimes it is in quite a bit of shade, mm-hmm. but um, you'll get variation in flower colour. Some are brilliant red. This one's got a tinge of pinkish red with green on it. Which is quite pleasing. Yeah. It's a nice colour. Yeah. 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 Okay, Stephen, back to you. Well, we still haven't had anybody ring in. What are you doing out there? Oh, well, it's cold. They're snuggled up in bed. Well, that's right. They should have the phone right next to the bed so they can still be (laughs) under the blankets and talk to us. Um, 
This is the time of year when one of my favourite cyclamen or cyclamen, depending on which school you went to, flowers. Uh, this is cyclamen coum, C-O-U-M. Um, it comes from the Mediterranean, as basically all cyclamen do, um, and it flowers through the winter months. It gets chubby little rounded flowers, which are really pretty, and very attractive heart-shaped leaves, often marbled beautifully with different shades of green and white and silver. Uh, it will lightly self-seed itself, so hopefully over a period of time you'll end up with a colony of them. And they can vary from pure white through to these sort of dark, carmony, cerisi shades uh, and it flowers for ages I mean they're actually a little bit late this year because we had such a long dry autumn so mm. they haven't they didn't start coming up till later but normally they start in June they go right through July into August and even then sometimes into early to mid-September Fantastic. so great value and even not in flower when the foliage is up they look fabulous and people sort of worry about them because a lot of people have really bad um, experiences with the large pot varieties uh, where they get them given to them on Mother's Day or whatever yes, and, yes. Uh, and then they manage to kill them fairly quickly afterwards. Uh, these little wild ones, given a semi-shaded spot or a spot where they get winter light and summer shade, as in under a deciduous shrub or tree, is generally the best spot to grow all these plants. They have a tuber that uh, sits under the ground um, and I guess their biggest threat in the garden is you because when they're dormant it's very easy to forget where they are and You stick a fork through them and wonder why your cyclamen don't come up again next year. Uh, So it's really just a matter of making sure you've got them somewhere where you can keep tabs on them. And over the years, they'll build colonies. Mm. And, I mean, if you plant this one and you have the autumn one, cyclamen hydrofolium, and you have the spring one, cyclamen repandum, you can have cyclamen flower from about February through to around about the end of November, early December. So that's with three species. There are 30-odd species in the genus. Um, most of them fall within the gamut of flowering through those periods, but there's even one that's a little hard to keep going called purpuracens that flowers sporadically right through the summer. Mm. So you could, in fact, have them in flower all year round if you're a serious collector. And when you do become a collector of this group, even though there's only a fairly small number of species, there's so much diversity in flower colour and leaf shape and colour that you go out and start selecting the silvery leafed one or the you know the the, the different forms yep. of a bit within the species so it can keep people entertained forever and there's always the cyclamen you haven't got like cyclamen somaliensis which as far as i know has never come into cultivation so there's always that one out there that you haven't got yet <laughs> um and i don't know whether somaliensis is even worth having but it was only discovered i think in the 1980s or 90s okay. in somalia which is a completely unexpected place to find a cyclamen growing gotcha. and and as far as I know, it's still only being grown at Uppsala University. Uh, they may have started distributing it around a bit now, uh, but it's certainly not in what I would consider private hands at this point in time. Mm. So uh, one is not likely to be able to add that to your collection of cyclamen for a long time, I shouldn't think. Okay. So great plants and, uh, and easy little things. They really are very easy plants to grow. Yep. So don't be put off just because you've had bad experiences with the big pot-grown cyclamen persicums. Uh, the little wild ones can be rock hardy and they'll often self-seed themselves into the cracks between pavers and I've got some that come up through the barge boards on the bottom of my shed the, the tube is actually growing under the shed okay. and the leaves and flowers come out between the barge boards so you know that's how easy they can be yep yep so there you go so cyclamen coom is in flower now so well worth looking out for fantastic okay that number folks if you'd like to join us this morning nine four one nine zero one double five to speak to the team on air 
or if you'd like to have a chat to Carol on the outside line, 94198377. Gwen, back to you. I think I'll handball to Rog. Okay. Oh. What have you got over your side, love? I've got a courier. Ah, good. Oh, those old things. Yes. <laughs> it's very like a nematolepus. Yeah, it does look rather like a nematolepus, yes. <laughs> it's got a funny name. It's, the cult of our name is Ring-a-Ding-a-Ling. Oh, dear. But, but it's a lovely plant. <laughs> yes, but, shame about the name. Yeah, Coria pulcala. Now, if people are ever travelling over in South Australia, say on the Eyre Peninsula or York Peninsula... This is where, that's the home, oh, Kangaroo Island too, is the home of Coriopulcalas. And there's just so much variation. Um, so this is a selection, not necessarily a hybrid? Well. Or maybe. You never know with nurserymen, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, you never true. know with plants at night, whether <laughs> they do funny things in the bush and yes. somebody just, but you know, finds it. If you, go to cof- different. if you go near Coffin Bay, where all the oysters are, uh, you'll see lots of Coriopulcala. That's as uh, long as you're not paying too much attention yeah. to oysters. Yes, and yeah. there, you'll find lots of variation there. Some will be low-spreading plants, some will be more upright. Dense flower colour will vary a little bit, but this is a bright... I, I don't know it's what a corally colour. Corally colour. Yeah, yeah, I would say coral. It's yeah. got a bit of a million in it, but yeah, so it's, uh, but it's really good. It's been flowering now for probably... Two months, yeah. two months or so. It'll go for another, another, buds, yes. yeah, another two months. And uh, low spreading, our plants are probably roughly 30 centimetres high and one's about oh, nearly a metre across now, the other a bit smaller. But um, a, a really bright flowered plant for this, you know, days like yesterday. Yes. This just stood out. Oh, fantastic. And like, bell-shaped like a, flowers. Bell-shaped flowers. Which is why it's called ring-a-ding-a-ling. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> and, and the flowers themselves, about two centimetres long, about a centimetre across, but lots of them. And, um, yeah, smooth, smooth, smallish leaves, but it'll form a, a dense ground cover and you can prune it as hard as you like as you can with most members of the Rutaceae family. They, they like pruning. But um, just, just a good good value plant. Mm. And I can uh, see it now with that great big pictorial label with the whole clarion of bells on the label. I, 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 yes. don't, I, I don't think they've done that. <laughs> Haven't they? Oh, I'm surprised. <laughs> but I, 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 there's one of these just outside my study window, and it's interesting seeing the nectar-feeding birds come and walk around. So you've got... Little wattle birds, which are a sizable bird, they're on the ground. You don't see them on the ground very often. And New Holland honey eaters, here mm-hmm. they are going around, sticking their beaks up. and, okay. uh, and, and they're uh, going, oh, this is yeah, a nice South yeah, Australian yeah. vintage. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so they're, they're having a great great time. And spinebills come, but spinebills don't get on the ground. But, uh, yeah, so if you like birds... Yes, plants and corriers, you can't, corriers. can't go wrong. Excellent. And corriopulcala will take full sunshine, bit of shade, Quite adaptable thing. I've Brilliant. Got a bit of trivia here. Okay. Um, you won't find that plant at the Cranbourne Botanical Gardens sale, right. uh, the friend sale on the 27th or whatever it is of this month, weekend after next, because down at Cranbourne there's lots of um, uh, Coria reflexes yep. and that. And as uh, we sort of mentioned before, Corias can be a bit promiscuous at night. Mm. The birds can go to daytime, one. Daytime, I the, think. Mm? They don't wait till night. Yeah. In the daytime <laughs> yeah, they as well. They do it in the open. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they want to protect the genetic 
um, what um, entity of the local couriers. And that's so. actually yeah. a point that people sometimes don't think. They just assume that by planting natives, they're doing the right thing. Mm. Yes. But planting endemics is different to planting natives. Mm. And so if you do have a local courier or a local grevillea or, a, I don't know, a local acacia or something else that might yeah. cross-breed, yep. it's not always the safest bet to plant yet another species oh. from another mm. part of the country mm. because you can muck up the gene pool of a local plant. So that's obviously why they're not growing Pulchella right. yeah. down at Cranbourne. Yeah, and they don't right. want us to have them growing and flowering in our friend's nursery. Yeah. Um, we've got three or four couriers, the local one, and I think we've got Courier Alba, the white one, and uh, a couple of others. But um, there are some that they've said, no, no, you know, we're not planting those on site. Mm, good. We can understand that. Mm. So Absolutely. Uh, are they isolated enough not to necessarily have any problem with Surrounding suburbia. No, you can't no, control no, no, that. Yeah, yeah, because somebody in Cranbourne proper could easily yes. plant oh, yeah. oh, yes. and maybe have some yeah. impact on the So it's going to be, it's, you know, there's a huge new estate just opening up right on the boundary. Mm-hmm. There's one over the back and there's one over the... Although there is, is an overlay outside the boundary of mm-hmm. the thing where things aren't allowed to be planted except local stuff. Yeah. But even so, you know... Birds travel a little yeah, Of course way, they do, yes, know, they so can travel quite a distance. Yeah, so, yeah, so there's no assurity, of course. No. But, no, you know, it you makes just, sense to try and protect you what you've got. Because an instance, you know, you're talking about, even there's a Grevillea rosemarina folia at Hurstbridge. It's a, a special variant up there. Well, what happened, people were planting Grevillea rosemarina folias up in that area from, from other, other regions. Other regions. Other states. Um, and, and probably that Hurstbridge one now is maybe... Kaput in a way, yeah. yeah so it's been crossbred with them, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So it's always one of the, one of the hazards of introducing plants. Yeah, mm. yes, yeah. and yes. Just because it's native, it doesn't mean that there isn't no. potentially. An oh issue. no, that's right. Yeah. So that's you're right. not always on the higher moral ground. No, no. 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 What else have you got there, Rod? That's pretty. I like that. You like that? Yeah. This is a mint bush, a prostanthra, yeah, oh. which you wouldn't immediately think no. of because no, the colour of that genus tends to be mauve in yeah. most right. places, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, well, this is prostanthra calicina, and that calicina refers to the calyx, the bud cap of the flower. Mm. Um, and this comes from South Australia, a bit south of Sejuna. Um, where you will find you'll have red-flowered plants, yellow-flowered plants, orange-flowered plants, pink-flowered plants, and even maybe white-flowered plants, all growing in swarms. And um, on slightly sandy soil, but limestone, overlaying, overlying um, limestone, and uh, it's a plant that flowers probably nearly six months or even longer, Goodness, that's so good value. Yeah, yeah, it is, and uh, it just keeps going. The, the, the one I've brought in today is more a pinkish flowered uh, form. The, the flowers are about one and a half centimetres long, maybe a bit longer, and uh, but there's lots of them. It's quite a compact bush. It might get to a metre high. So not particularly large. No, and the same across, and it goes quite well in acidic soils, and we're on a... A volcanic loamy soil, and mm. it's quite happy there. Mm. Like sunshine, mm. it, it does really respond well to, to quite a bit of sunshine. But I must admit, it's done much better than I ever thought it would do. Okay. And, you know, you know, it's, you're thinking that you should have those sort of conditions, and our conditions aren't the same as that. But um, so, 
It's once again a bit of a hard one to find. Do the growing friends grow that? I don't know, love. You'd have to look on yeah. the... Um, yes, look, the it up, yeah. look it up for yourself on the internet. Yes. Yeah, on the, the website. Yeah. Um, we certainly grow a number of prostanthras. But uh, it's we a, possibly do, but I'm not sure. Yeah. In the prostanthras, there's two types of flowers. There's the insect pollinated ones and bird pollinated. Mm-hmm. And this is a bird pollinated You can tell one. by the tubular flower. The flower. Tubular flower. Yeah. So, um, once again, the honey eaters go mad over that too. So, um, prostanthra... Calycina, C A L Y C I N A. I can see uh, Stephen's eyes glistening. There's a few cuttings on that, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, pretty, pretty poor cuttings. Yeah, yeah, yes. They're not, they're not the best condition, <laughs> oh, but they, you know, anything is possible. If you <laughs> really, it's like, you know, if you're desperate, you try. Look, that cutting's only perhaps an inch and a half yeah, long. But that's but always strikable. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah always but, strikable. But it does propagate quite well from uh, cuttings. So mm. That's how they're grown these days. Mm. But uh, yeah, Well, that's so, also good if you're wanting to grow a specific clone or yeah, colour, yeah, flower yeah, colour, yeah. so it's good. Yeah. Yeah. But just in the bush, to see, see the, the swarms of colour, it, you know, it's one of those eye-boggling things when you all of a sudden you come across an acre of mm. just this mixture of colours. Gosh, yeah. yes. Mm. Okay, we'll go to our first uh, caller, and we have Marion in Windervale. Good morning, Marion. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, about four years ago, I had my garden, front garden done, and they put in four Ger- five Geraldton waxes uh-huh. along a north-facing fence. Yep. And over the years, they're gradually going yellow. Okay. Last year, I pulled one out, and the roots hadn't done almost anything. Okay, they're just still coiled, were they? In a well, little... yeah, there was a couple of half-hearted attempts. Yeah. Um, but I, there is the reactive clay here, so it's not the best soil for natives. Yeah. And yeah. I really don't want... One of them is still good, and they're all flowering. Okay. But they're just all going, you know, going yellow. Yes. And I just wondered if there's anything I can do yeah, look to help at, them. Yeah, fine. Um, what you could do is get some stuff called iron chelates. Yeah, I've got some you, of that. You've got some of that? Yeah. Um, is it the greenish one? Do you know? The greenishy uh, powder? I don't know whether it's green. I thought it was yellow. But oh, anyway. yeah, yellowy green. That's fine. Yeah. Well, yep. that's, that's the one to use. Um, oh, okay. You could could apply that even now would be fine Um, and then I'd take a lot of your flowering stems indoors as cut cut flowers so that you're pruning back the plant and uh, and you could also apply just a a small quantity of a slow release fertiliser but wait till about August or September, we're nearly August anyway, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. we're getting close. Yeah. Like a native one? Uh, yes, yeah, could do that just, um, but one of the things would be, I'd suggest to, to prune it back, but to put on the iron chelates and, yeah. and see how you go there, but it sounds as though that the ones you dug up that the, the roots hadn't got out of their root ball. Well I did fork around the others after that to try and loosen it up a bit. Oh, okay. okay. And I might have given them a bit of sea salt. I can't remember. Yeah, well, that, that, that won't hurt anyway. And I have two eriostomans, whatever they're called now. Yep. And the same, one is in front of the house, north-facing, and the one is just at the corner. And the same thing, the one in the corner is not at the corner of the house where it gets more air and that. 
is okay. The other one is also going yellow. So yeah, look, okay. They've both got flowers, but would I just do the same thing? Yeah, that yeah, too? apply apply the same. Yep. Oh, excellent. Oh, thank you so much. I don't okay. want to lose them. No, and and you might have to do that, yep. you know. Every, every year? Yeah, well, maybe even twice a year. But oh, um, right, okay. if you If you start getting some good green growth, you don't need to do it, but if it's yellowing. Okay. Also, sometimes... It's a bit hard to get these days, but agricultural sulphur. Um, you okay. probably have to buy a big bag or something at, at one of the uh, produce yeah, stores. Yeah, give it a go. Yeah, that, that can help too. Yeah, um, okay. All right, well, thank you so much for that. Okay. And have a nice day. Same to you. Okay, bye. Okay. Bye. Right, uh, let me see. Next up we have uh, Philippa in Sydenham. Good morning, Philippa. Oh, good morning to you all. I think you should get a big cheerio seeing you've all got out of bed just for us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Now, now Stephen, I was uh, hoping you would give me the gift here. I have uh, probably as tall as my phone here, a small seedling, and it's a gum tree. Hmm. I don't know whether it's from the pigment gum or from a very, very floriferous gum next to it which are maybe lemon scented longer leaves that the uh, rosellas love their hair all the time and I was thinking um, until it gets its main uh, gum leaf would it be okay for me to dig it out now, place it in a pot, wait for the main leaf to come up to see whether I know whether I'm, where I'm going to place that well, you do know that um, eucalypts have a reputation for not being really easy to shift. So if you do decide to dig it up and pot it, there's always a good chance you'll lose it. So, But having said that, you've got very little to lose if you don't know quite what you've got and whether you want to keep it or not. Uh, you may, in fact, decide not to have it anyway in due course. So uh, you can try, and now would be the time to probably lift it, wouldn't you? If you were going to have a crack at it, Gwen, would you do it in the cool weather? Certainly not in summer. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, so, how tall would you say it is at the moment? Um, well, it, 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 my iPhone. If I place my phone. Oh, so it's quite it. small. Uh, look, if you can get it out with a decent intact root system, um, you may get it to re-establish in a pot. But generally speaking, the vast majority of our native plants are better grown in pots and then planted out into the ground than lifted from the ground and put into pots um, because they really don't like that sort of root disturbance. But Got little to lose. It's worth a crack. Um, I did buy a Coria two years ago, I think. I think it may be called Birthday Candles or Christmas Candles, and it's it's orange, mm. and it is, it is absolutely full of flowers. Uh, I, I'm just hoping it won't die on me. You know when they say that uh, a fruit tree has too many blossoms where you've got yeah. to... I don't think that's necessarily an issue. Most of those sort of native corriers and things are expected to flower prolifically. So it's just par for the course. And the last thing is, uh, Stephen, I think you've been cheating on us. Why? What have I done now? That's the problem. You've not done it. When you described the beautiful mini cyclamens coming up next to the shed mm -hmm. and you haven't placed a photograph on an annual calendar when we come up to buy from you. <laughs> You're asking so, me to do stuff that I don't have time to do. That's the problem. Um, so but you see, up in, the, up in the ranges where you have the mists and the beautiful, beautiful variance in temperature, you're, you're not 
you're not putting that on a calendar for us. Yeah, well, I'm sorry, that's not likely to happen. Uh, oh, actually, yeah. this might be a point to mention that uh, Dixonia rare plants, in a sense, has gone mail order. You're joking. No, I'm not joking. Uh, a friend of mine who runs a nursery that is strictly mail order lives not very far away, and he's prepared to package and post and send things out for me. But if people want to buy plants from me, they have to ring me and talk to me on the phone about it so that we can talk through their order and also pay over the phone. So don't send me emails, don't send me text messages, don't send me all those other things because I'm just going to get back to you and say, ring me. Uh, so if people want something from me, I mean, there's charges involved, of course. We've got to pay Australia Post, and this friend of mine takes a small cut to cover the costs that he's putting into the whole thing. So there's a minimum charge, uh, and I am prepared to take orders, but you know they have to be paid for and talked through over the phone. Uh, and it will depend on what it is. I mean, that's why I like to talk it through. I mean, some things are going to be too big to send out. Other things aren't in season. Uh, so you might well want something that isn't ready yet. Uh, so I need to be able to talk it through with people. So if people are interested in getting things sent out, I have to say most people around Melbourne should easily be able to get in their car and come and visit me anyway because they might well pick up the thing they didn't know they needed, um, which is always good I think uh, but for those who can't get out and about or for those who are interstate except in Tasmania and Western Australia uh, I can now organise mail order but it will cost but then it's probably cheaper than the petrol to get to my place well I rather enjoyed driving up there. and so you should you're not that far away so <coughs> you should come and see me uh, but I have to say the cyclamen will grow well for most people around Victoria. They just need a little bit of summer shade over the top of them and there's even one species that will grow in the sun as long as it's got a mulch over it uh, and they're very, very easy little plants. So it probably doesn't matter where you live but yeah, and if you want to see the one we saw that, uh, that I talked about this morning, go onto the Facebook page for 3CR and it's up there. Thank you. That's a pleasure. Okay, bye. Bye. Now, next we have um, a caller called um, Pearl from the Peninsula, and I think I've heard that somewhere before. Good morning, Pearl. Oh, look, this isn't Pearl. This is Alex. Yes, it's Alex. (laughs) I recognised it instantly, Alex. I was having a chuckle to myself. I'm sticking up for Pearl from the Peninsula. Okay. (laughs) And it's unfortunate, but she's also pretty hostile about Stephen. Oh, oh. God, what a, I, I can't well, win. I don't know why I bother coming in. <laughs> well, I hope you don't give up, but I've got to stick up for Pearl too, so I'll be the sandwich in the middle. <laughs> right. Hey, uh, what's happened is Pearl rang Stephen on 774 because she wants to set up a memorial garden for her father and her dear departed husband. And her father was a bulldog supporter. Right. Oh, yeah. Red, white and blue flowers, no problems. He, he, Stephen was a great help. Yes, all right. But her husband was a Collingwood supporter. Oh, dear. Black and, and white flowers, yeah, sure. Yeah, well, <laughs> the white was no problem, but he didn't give her any suggestions about All right, I can give you a couple of suggestions for black flowers. You could plant one of the black arums, uh, arum purpureo spathum or arum pictum or... Arum palestinum, the black lily of Palestine. Uh, so there's a couple of black suggestions for you. Um, 
Uh, I might add some of them have a rather unattractive perfume, which might or might not go down well. Um, <laughs> it might be appropriate. Yes, it might, it might or might not be appropriate. Let's not go into too much detail. Um, so the black lilies could be a possibility. Uh, there are a couple of liliums now that are almost black. They're such dark burgundy colours uh, in the sort of uh, uh, oriental lily types. Uh, and it's actually surprising how many things you can get that visually look blackish in the garden, but, you know, if you really look at them closely, they're dark purple or they're dark, dark red or, or whatever, but they're such dark colours. Uh, I mean, there's a, a tree peony called Black Panther, which is a, a really dark, dark blood red. I mean, it's still a reddish colour, but from a distance could look slightly black. Uh, but, yes, it's an issue to if you are interested in that sort of thing, but it's surprising how many people collect things like black flowers. Mm. Oh, know, yeah, we have a, a thing. We have a friend... She's a curator at uh, Huntington Botanic mm. Garden in California, and that's one of her favourite things. Black flowers. Black yeah. flowers. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, there, is, there is a Canedia called oh, Nigricans. Yeah, it's got a yellowy centre. But, but there's one called Minstrel, which is black and white. Oh, uh-huh. So there you go. There you go. You've there, solved there, it in we've one. We've got the one plant that will do both. There pa- you go, pa- Canedia Minstrel. Pass that on to Pearl. I'm speaking to Pearl. I think she'll be very pleased to hear that there might be some options. Yeah. Yes. I have to say, and though, if I was planting a Canadia, I'd be a bit careful where I put it because those things can take off like a rocket. Yes, uh, they can, you know, grow up even big casuarinas and kill casuarinas. Yeah, so, so yes, it's a plant that needs yeah. to be put in with some discretion about how you're going to control it. But some, it would yeah. be black and white. Something a bit smaller is a, 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 a brachycema, or it's probably now known under a different name, but um, Melanopetalum, which is, and it is quite blackish, mm. the, the flowers on that uh, pea flower, uh, that's one. Yeah, so there you go. Um, so there are options, but they're just a little less common. Yeah, yeah. Black kangaroo paw, which yeah. may not survive, although where, where was she living? Where is Pearl living? Oh, Rosebud. On the peninsula. On the peninsula. Yeah. Well, if she's in sandy soil, the... the yeah, she might be able to grow the black kangaroo paw. Yeah. So there you well, go. I think you're marvellous, and I think that uh, you're a good sport too, Stephen, so thanks. I'll pass all that on to Pearl. <laughs> right, good. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, Alex. All right. Um, now we have a message on the outside line. Anne wants to buy a dwarf, um, a dwarf lime. Oh, sorry, lime for a friend uh, from Hampton. Are there any other limes apart from the Tahitian lime well. that are dwarf? Well, it depends on what they're grafting them onto, I think. So, yeah, so if they're putting them on dwarfing rootstocks, you can probably have any lime as mm. long as it's on a dwarfing rootstock. So you'd have to look out for it. And, of course, our native limes tend to be yeah. reasonably small-growing yes, shrubs. Yes, so, so the finger limes and things like that, although their fruit is different to the classical lime, yeah. um, they're, they're also a possibility because they don't grow very big. No, yeah. that's right. There's a so-called red centre lime, which is... Um, we've got one in a pot, and it's been in the same pot for a long time, mm. and it is about, oh, a metre high. Yeah. yeah. So that's... And My finger what? limes are in pots, and they've been in yeah. pots for and it fruits, quite a few years. Fruits prolifically. Yeah. You know, the... The fruit's about that size, probably three centimetres or so yep. long and yep. oval. Um, yeah, one per gin and tonic would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if if um, if she's interested in a kaffir lime, 
Um, yeah. Or whether she just wants it for the lime juice. Yeah, well, kaffir limes, if they're not on a dwarfing rootstock, can grow big. Can go very big, yeah. Mine must be four metres tall. Yeah. And yeah. I look at it and I think, I only need three leaves for the curry I'm yeah, making. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Why have I got this four metre kaffir lime it's tree? It's like having a bay tree, tree as well. Yeah, well, a bay tree, yes. I mean, how many bay leaves can one use? Exactly, <laughs> yes. So, um, I must cut a few branches off mine and I think offer them to the local... Um, I don't know. Well, maybe one of, the, one of the restaurants they might be will. happy yeah, to take Yeah, they might be from happy from to take I know. Them. Our son, when he's home down at uh, Real, he's got a, a cafe lime, and it's, I don't know, it's probably three, three metres plus. Mm. And uh, he, he was selling quite a lot of the leaves to local restaurants. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They were very happy to get the stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, yes, you might you know, have a small cottage industry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, that number, if you'd like to join us this morning, uh, we are running through until 9.15, so you've got uh, about half an hour or so to jump on the phones, 94190155, to speak to Stephen, Gwen or Roger, or if you'd like to have a chat to Carol on the outside line, Pam, we have had a caller say she's had trouble finding the list of plants that are going to be at the Cranbourne uh, Friends uh, sale on the 27th and 28th, I think it is, yes, of this month, a couple of weeks' time. Uh, It's only got the, the March plant list. That March plant list will be fairly similar to the things that are available now. Um, okay. There won't be a lo- it's only a few months ago. There won't be a lot of... If that caller likes to ring back and leave a number, we, we'll have a talk to her. Okay, mm. that, that's fine. Or you could send an email to, um, let's see, uh, Growing Friends, all one word, oh, no, sorry, growing.friends at rbgfriendscranburn.org.au. So, I mean, it's a long thing, but... Okay, you're not paying per letter when you type it in. Growing dot friends at RBG friends, Cranbourne, all one word, dot org dot au. But as Roger said, if that caller would like to ring and leave a, uh, a her phone number, we will get back to her either um, at the end of the program or when we get home today and make sure. But the March plant list will be fairly similar to what they've got um, on sale on July uh, 27, 28, because, you know, that's not a big mm. uh, time of, you know, growing. Mm. There's a big difference between the December sale or whatever and the March sale mm. over that summer growing period. But um, the things that were available in March might be a little bit bigger now. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. about it, probably. So just ring in to uh, 94190155 and uh, give Louise your phone number and uh, Gwen or Roger will get back to you, um, as I said, either after the show or later in the day from home. All right, uh, Roger, we've got a few plants we haven't covered yet. We're just talking about limes. We were. Mm, we were. And, and this is sunrise lime. Um, it's actually a, a hybrid between uh, finger lime and a calamondin. Uh, it was done, CSIRO did a lot of this work uh, many moons ago. Uh, but it, it's a good plant. Once again, we've got it in a pot. And, it's um, very attractive, actually. What's yeah. a calamondin? It, it's a cross between what, Gwen? I think it's a mandarin and a kumquat. Yeah, yeah something yes. like yes. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so but this has got very mixed heritage. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it has. Oreos were in the same family yeah. as citrus. <laughs> I mean, they're all a bit promiscuous. Yes, yes, they? so it would seem. Yeah, and, it, and it's got very fine thorns on it too. But it, yeah, it's a good plant. I just eat the whole thing. 
Um, he does. Mm, because the, the the skin on that is, is yeah, mm. good, good. But, it, uh, you know, has a good zest, you know, if you want it, you know, for cooking and things. And uh, the plant... Really doesn't take much looking after. It lasts How long big it does it seem to get to? If it's a the plant itself, yeah, it, mm. it's up uh, probably uh, it's fence height in a pot at the moment, so that's about two meters. Yeah, okay. And, so and it's a moderate size. Yeah, yeah, and I do prune it. It has just so much flower, and the perfume is quite good. I don't know whether they're ripe yet, but it, uh, oh. they're close. They're not too bad. Um, but yeah, lots. Oh. Of, there's photos of the pursing of lips going yeah. on here. No, no, no. That's actually got quite sweet. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. It is. You could easily eat that raw. Yeah. It's got that slightly sort of pearliness in mm. it. Yes, it has. Lines it has. So it's got yeah. the little sort of bubbles, globules, mm. globules whatever you call them. There yeah. must yep. be a technical term for those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. is yeah. there? <laughs> <laughs> there must be. There's got to be. There's a technical term for everything. But but a good <laughs> amount of juice to it, and, yeah. and, and uh, quite a sweetness. Yes, it's not, you know, when you bite into a lemon or a, a normal lime, it's not that sort of no. bitter. So ooh, so it's, uh, yeah, and it's quite a pretty looking fruit, bright yellow. Yeah, um, I think it's very sort attractive. Of slightly egg shaped, uh, really pretty, and it seems to produce them in quantity. By it, does, it does, it Stephen. Does, yeah, it mm. produces a lot. And as I said, flour, it just gets massed in flour. And you can just walk out the back door. And you so if you're looking it. for one, what would you ask for again? I've already forgotten. It's called Sunrise Lime. Citrus, Sun- Sunrise Lime. Sunrise Lime. Oh, there we yeah. go. Yes. And okay. uh, they're, they're, they're usually sold as grafted things, but I, I wonder whether, if you're growing it in a pot, it, I don't know whether it needs to be grafted, but mm. you know, it's one of those things. So the, it, the finger limes don't need to be grafted if no. you're growing in pots. You know, mm. so, yeah. yeah, so... Yeah, citrus, sunrise, lime. It's a, it's a, it's a good plant. Mm. It is a good plant. And uh, and quite dense foliage. Mm. It grows a bit like, it's a bit more upright than probably kumquats. Yeah, you know, okay. Kumquats, you know, so that, yep. Yeah, well, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Very interesting plant. Yeah. 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 Okay, mm. what else? You've got something else there, Rog? Yeah, we've got a, something quite different. Foliage, just foliage, Stephen. Oh, leaves. With leaves. And they're green. And they're green. <laughs> yes. And... Uh, Got They're a, very nice. You've got a little bit of other, other colour in them. There's a little bit of, well, not quite yellow, but uh, bronzish colours. Um, and this is one of the Tomasias, like Thomas with IA on the end. And uh, Tomasia, they've stuck them in a, a different family now. Of yeah, they're all in the Malvasi family. They've gone the Which is hibiscus. Yeah. <laughs> So things like you know, Illawarra flame and all, they've all been lumped in. But, um, <laughs> but tomatoes, they're, they're a good range of plants, mainly Western Australia. We've got one in Victoria, but uh, they're good. This is Tomasia solanacea, S-O-L-A-N-A-C-E-A, because supposedly so, yes. it looks like a solanum. Yes, um, yes, you could sort of see that as yeah. long as you pick the right solanum. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's an oak leaf solanum, I think. Yeah. But it has this oak-type leaves. It's a, a good screening plant. It'll keep its foliage down to ground level. You can grow it as a hedge. The flowers are not really brilliant in colour. They're pale. There's, they're just forming buds now. Um, but it's just a good screening plant. It's a nice foliage. Yeah. So Tomasia solanacea. It'll get to probably three metres high. Yeah, so it's same a substantial across. shrub. Yeah, and... Uh, but it does respond quite well to, to pruning, too. So, good thing. I, I think it, you know, if you want to screen things out, 
Tomacia. Those neighbours you don't like. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Solanacea. Okay. Let's get to a couple more callers. First up, we have uh, Thelma in Oak Park. Good morning. Oh, good morning. Quite a bit of a petty call, I suppose, but I have a Daphne, mm-hmm. and um, I've grown a couple before and lost them. Grown, and because it has been a present for my granddaughters, I potted it according to the Australian Gardening Magazine all the way, and mm-hmm. have looked after it and watched it. It's been there about nine months. It's all coming out smothered in buds and some flowers are out. I've got it partially under a veranda up against the brick wall of my house which faces east Mm -hmm. so it just gets the morning sun. But I'm wondering now to get all these buds coming out, should I perhaps bring it out from the undercover, still keeping it uh, close to the wall, would that be advisable to do that? I don't think it's going to matter. If, you're, if your Daphne's looking healthy and its flower buds are starting to open, yeah. uh, I think you can just leave it alone. Leave it alone. <laughs> I mean, uh, Daphne's are one of those plants that if things are going well, don't tamper, mm-hmm. uh, is yes. my attitude to yes. these things. Just, yeah, I know they're a bit temperamental. Yeah, they can be temperamental. They can easily get Daphne virus and all sorts of things can go wrong with them. They can get waterlogged. They can get all sorts of things can go wrong. So if the plant's looking fine and it's flowering, I would just enjoy it. And another thing, like I potted it, uh, put, I suppose it's been nine months. How, should I repot? How should I do it? Repot it uh, uh, again, or just add potting mix to it, to new potting mix to it? Well, it's about how big the plant is in comparison to its pot is what you need to know when you need to repot. So, if you're going to repot the Daphne, it needs to have. Um, overbalanced size-wise to the pot, um, so you probably don't need to do anything to it other than give it a light feed with a slow-release fertiliser once a year okay. until such time as the plant looks like it's no longer appropriate for that size pot. Right. And how often can I sea salt? Yeah, look, you can do very little harm with sea salt. Like and when I water it, you know, when I, and I don't water it too often, mm. I leave it completely dry. When I water it, sometimes I do put Yeah, look, you won't do any harm with that. Sea salt is a good product from the perspective of root stimulation and uh, microbial activity in the soil and all that sort of thing. But it doesn't give them a lot of feeding, but that's part of the point. It's more a tonic than a feed. Um, So you will need to give the Daphne some sort of fertiliser as well, seeing as it's in a pot. Uh, So one of the slow-release fertilisers is probably as easy to use as any. Yeah, Okay, then we're good. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Bye. Bye. Right, uh, moving on, we have uh, Sharon in Cheltenham. Good morning, Sharon. Oh, good morning, Pam. Um, look, I've got a question about... Um, I've got a couple of Hoyas mm-hmm. on a Eastley veranda. I've had them there for years, um, but they do get a little bit burnt in summer. Yeah. Um, but they usually recover. They're looking pretty thick. A lot of the leaves are yellow at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just... A bit worried about them. <clears throat> what to do? <clears throat> well, uh, Hoyas go off a bit in the winter anyway with the cool weather. They don't really enjoy it all that much, so they're always going to look a little out of sorts at this time yeah. of the year. Um, so I'd say in about a month's time, give them a feed, uh, maybe give them a sprinkling of some lime, some garden lime. Uh, okay. Hoyas seem to like an alkaline soil. Uh, okay. So just a sprinkling of garden lime and perhaps a slow-release fertiliser and maybe some seaweed as well. Uh, but do all of that as the spring's coming on. Um, don't overpot them. So 
you know, Hoyas seem to be happier if they're tight in a pot, uh, and they certainly flower better if they're not in too big a pot. Um, and just keep the leaves clean and that sort of thing because they do tend to get dusty and dirty, particularly if they're on a veranda or somewhere where they're not yeah. actually getting natural rain. Uh, yeah. So it pays to clean the leaves periodically. Uh, other than that, you shouldn't have to do terribly much to them. Having said right. that, though, if they're burning each summer, maybe you've got them in the wrong place. Maybe they need to be in a slightly more sheltered site. I know. Oh, I have thought that. Mm. Years I put up shade cloth and I think, hmm, should move them, but just not sure where. It's yeah, going. that's the problem. If you haven't got somewhere else to move them to, that's a little bit yeah. more shady. But it does sound to me like they would they would appreciate being put into a slightly more shady aspect because hoyas do quite well in high light levels without direct sunlight. That's generally the best way to treat them. High light with no direct sun. I see. That, that seems to be the best sort of growing conditions for most species. Right, that's an interesting... I'll have to think about this one. <laughs> yeah, well, give it some thought because, I mean, if your poor plants are going to look frazzled and burnt every summer, well, then you're never going to get the best value out of them. Um, so, you know, if you can find somewhere else to grow them, uh, I would definitely recommend that. Yeah, I, I suspect that um, I've got them there because I couldn't think of anywhere better, but I'll... Have a really good think about that one. Yeah, yeah. that would be the long-term best thing for the Hoyer's perspective. Um, What sort of fertiliser? You, just a little bit of slow release fertiliser is all you need to give them. So one of the pelletised things like osmocote uh, oh, okay. and just a, a tiny sprinkling of lime every couple of years doesn't hurt. Don't just don't get overboard with it, but just a little bit of lime. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, that's about all. I mean, they don't. A lot of them are epiphytes in the wild. They grow up in the forks of trees and things like that. They have very little root system under them. They don't, in fact, require heavy feeding. No. Okay. Um, winter watering. In summer, I usually water them every Friday. I do a weekly mm. sort of thing. But in winter, I, I think that's too much. I'm sort of not quite sure about my water in winter. Well, I don't think I've watered mine in a month and a half. Okay. That gives me an idea. You know, right. so it's fine for them to dry right out. If the leaves start to wrinkle, you know that they've actually got too dry. Um, yes. But you're better to underwater than overwater Hoyas in the winter. Oh, that's great, because if I go away, I don't have to wait. Oh, look, uh, I've been away for um, six weeks in the autumn, and nobody watered my Hoyas while I was away. Oh, fantastic. That's really good to know because I, I really didn't have a handle on yeah. that at Not all. that I'm overly fond of Hoyas, but I've got my grandmothers and I've got my mothers and they're both yeah. gone now, so I feel obliged. The only thing I will say, they're just wonderfully flowers for the bees. I just... Yeah. Um, well, I like flower. the scent of Hoyas, um, but you know, I don't find the plants overly exciting. They're, they're sort no. of unattractive plants in some ways, and I spend a lot of time training mine out in a fan pattern so that it doesn't look like an unstuffed mattress hanging off the wall. Um, <laughs> and so at least there's some sort of sense of smartness about it. Um, yeah. But they're not a plant I would normally go to my way to have, but they're sitting on my front veranda. It faces east. They don't get any direct sunlight, and they seem to be doing fine. Oh, thank you very much, Stephen. That's given me some food for thought. All right, good. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. Could even move one of her plants. Yeah, and try uh, that. And try that and just mm. see, you know. Yeah, yeah, good point. But it is a matter of finding that sort of out-of-the-sun, yeah. oh, sure. but light sort of spot for yep. them, I think. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Okay, next we'll go to Wendy in Reservoir. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning. How are you? We're well. Yeah, I was lying in bed thinking it was too cold. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just wanted to ask, I wanted to buy a lemon myrtle, but I know that they're very frost-sensitive, and have I left it too late, or...? 
Oh no, look, um, even though they are frost sensitive, it's amazing to see plants really badly affected by frost and then Around about September, October, you'll see all these new leaves coming out. So I wouldn't have thought Reservoir was all that frosty. No, it shouldn't. shouldn't. Not, not compared to Macedon. No, that's right. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not as bad as Macedon, but yeah. no, um, yeah, get a bit of frost in the back corner of the yard, so yeah. maybe keep it a bit closer to near the house or something. Yeah, look, if, yeah. If, you could, yeah, if you could put it uh, against even a brick wall. Is it, you got a brick house or a weatherboard house? I've got one that's... Fibro cement, Fibro, like the old. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. But it, once again, to put it in a spot uh, against a, against a wall can be helpful. Yeah. yeah, wonderful. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Bye. But if if they do get burnt by frost, they'll wait, wait, wait till September, October. Prune them, prune them back a bit, and that, they'll come away. Wonderful. Thanks very much. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. The foliage that's been burnt by frost protects the other foliage, that's doesn't right, it? So yeah. don't prune them the next day. Just yes, even though they look a bit shoddy for a while, yeah, it's yeah. better to leave that there. We've got one that was burnt a few oh, years yeah, ago, yeah. and it's lovely. Yeah. Mm. And, and those dead frosted leaves still have the flavour of the lemon, and you can use them in cooking. Yep, mm. yep. Okay, next we've got our very good friend, uh, John from Melton. Good morning, John. Oh, good morning, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. Good day, John. Hello, and Gwen and um, mm. Jack. <laughs> Roger oh, and it's too, early, it's too early for me. That's but fine. I'd, I'd like to say a huge thank you to 3CR for the community announcements you do, but especially um, for announcing our NADOC Week guided tour that was on Friday. Right. And you, you know what the weather was like yes. then. It was really bleak. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we had 35 participants. Oh, from fantastic. All over Melbourne. That's great, John. And, and they, they had a wonderful walk, but I very much think, uh, and many said, they'd heard it on 3CR, so that was really good to hear. Good. And we've, we've had wonderful feedback from that walk um, emailed to us. And uh, we gave each participant at the end of the walk, as the focus was on Indigenous plants, mm. um, Aboriginal use plants and bush foods plants, and we gave each person a pale vanilla lily to take away. Oh, lovely. So if they can eat them or grow them. Yes. Them. <laughs> <laughs> or possibly both. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but we've got... Uh, Tim Entwistle coming to our next Friends of the Melton Botanic Garden meeting okay. on Wednesday the 14th of August. He's going to talk about the new arid um, garden extending foils volcano. So that, oh, right. that's a real coup to get um, mm, Tim good. to come. We, we brought yeah. him up about a year ago. Yeah. And uh, I heard uh, Coria Pukella mentioned earlier. Yep. And we've got an Air York Peninsula bed in our South Australian area of the garden, and that is looking spectacular. There's quite a number of varieties, and some of those are for sale at the plant nursery. Yeah, because you have a quite good little plant nursery a there, very don't you, good John? Plant nursery, yeah. But um, one one of your presenters, you know, Karen Sutherland. Yep. Um, she's a corporate member of the Friends, but donated uh, one of her babies to us, which. Is a, it's about a 30-year-old ponytail palm. You can imagine how big that was. <laughs> and it was getting too big for her garden. It was near the house. Yep. So she had a few friends around the other Saturday morning, and they dug it out and put it in the trailer. Um, and it's about 250 kilograms. <laughs> so those things Karen, weigh Karen a lot. and her husband, John, uh, drove it up to Melton in the afternoon, so I met them at the garden. I, I sort of dug the hole already in the <laughs> California and Central South America. Fantastic. Bed. 
Um, John fortunately had this big four-wheel drive ute and he was able to back his trailer up on, on, onto the bed over the, the rock uh, edging and everything and get it right to the hole with me. <laughs> oh, well and done. Th- this is, you know how slight um, Karen is. Yeah, yeah, there's not much um, to Karen. Well, she, well, she's, <laughs> she's pretty uh, strong. <laughs> well, she was, because she, she was in the, the trailer pushing with her feet the base Right. And John and I, the bit that was, was coming at the other end, were pulling that, and we managed to drop it straight into the hole. Oh, the well the done. Well, but nobody will nick that one. No, <laughs> no. It, it, looks, it looks magnificent. But it, it's amazing how much a mature tree going into a new area yes. dramatically changes the look. So we've yes. also had some other good donations. We picked up about a 100-kilogram um Aloe from Beckus Marsh the other day. Oh, And gosh. That, that's had it a big structure in the um, South African bed. Right. And um, Jim Peake from, drove all the way from Frankston. He'd contacted me beforehand. He had some agaves, which were all named and named cultivars, uh, for our Californian Central South American bed as well. Fantastic. Fantastic. That's brilliant. So there are great stories happening out this way. Yeah. Good. Yeah. John... Before you go, can you send through the details of the Tim Whistle talk to me, please? I certainly will. Thank you very much. No problems at all. <laughs> okay. All right. Cheers. Bye. Bye. And you do know that the Melton Botanic Gardens holds the National Eremophila Collection uh, yep. that hasn't quite been registered yet, but they, mm. it will be, and they also have the Small Eucalypt Collection. Wonderful. Uh, so, uh, yes, well worth a trip out to Melton uh, for a, a wander around that yep. garden. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just going on, this last week, of course, until today has been NADOC week and there's been big events at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens, also Melbourne. But another um, one I can just see in the little book I've got here, what's on in winter from, from Melbourne Gardens, um, on Friday, August the 9th, I'll give you a phone number in a few minutes, there's a bush food experience. Now, that is now the International Day of the World's Indigenous People. Oh, right. On Friday, August the 9th. Okay. It's at 1.30pm, and um, there's a whole lot of things happening, uh, including um, uh, food. We'll finish off with tasting of delicious food inspired by the native plants seen on your walk, developed and prepared by Aboriginal trainee chefs, from the Social Enterprise Restaurant Charcoal Lane. Yeah, right. So that would be a very Ooh, interesting day on would the 9th be. of August. costs $50. The phone number, if you, of course, you'd have to book. They're not going to cater for you. Yeah, don't just roll up. No, don't just roll up. 9252 2429. Uh, it's on their website, but 9252 2429. Uh, and while we're waiting for our next call, there's also. Um, Forest therapy programs yes. going on at Melbourne, which mm. you know is plants gardens are so important for our human health, mm. and sometimes we don 't realize it until we actually get out into a garden and sit and be quiet mm. and listen and watch mm. and that 's wonderful, so you could you know ring the same number to find out about that they 're being held every second Sunday in winter. And it's $30 a person. Okay. There you go. Now, um, Paul from Flemington wants to know what he can grow on a south-facing balcony that gets no sun at all. Oh, there's lots of things. A um, couple of uh, exotic plants that I think are particularly good for that sort of thing. Uh, one is the genus Orcuba. Um, 
The common one is the Japanese stardust laurel with its yellow spots all over its leaves, which are actually quite useful in sunless balconies because it looks like sun's coming in from somewhere. Uh, but there's also green leaf ones. There's a dwarf one that's very heavy fruiting that's a hermaphrodite form. Uh, there's a narrow leafed female one that I grow at the nursery that I bought in from Dan Hinckley in America years ago called, mm. funnily enough, Longifolia. Um, and so there's a whole range of acubas, so I would look at those. Um, Ruscuses are another group of interesting plants in the asparagus family uh, that have attractive, well, it's not foliage actually, it's cladodes, but uh, what look like leaves and has funny little flowers that sit in the middle of the leaf. There's also a hermaphrodite form of that, so you can get one that gets red berries on it, and they'll grow in the darkest spot you can find. And some of the um, clumping forest bamboos make really good pot plants, mm. and they're soft and airy, they move in the wind, they don't need a lot of direct sunlight on them. Uh, in fact, they'll grow where they don't get any, um, and they vary in height depending on which one you buy, from a couple of metres up to about four. Um, so there's a few ideas from me. Have you got any native plants? plants that you yeah. would recommend one of, the, one of the plants I was talking about earlier Tomasia solanacea would be mm, fine good foliage yeah that, that would be fine for there and, and some of the other Tomasias too would be okay mm. uh, some of the Coria chef's cap Coria Coria mm. baolenii very be, pretty green flowers that yeah means, and uh, hopefully don't know how I up is but uh, you might get some honey eaters coming into the, the flowers of that uh, even Coria alba is another one uh, and there's also Plectrancis argentatus. Yeah, they'll tolerate yeah. quite shady conditions. Shady can they? Yes. So th- 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 there's quite a few. In oh. fact, sometimes there's lots of stuff for a certain aspect. You just need to be pushed in the right direction. <laughs> Another group of plants that suddenly came into my mind when you're talking about honey eaters would be the agapetes. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, uh, right. Wonderful shrubs with arching habit. They, mm. They've got great structural quality and little, uh, well, in the commoner varieties, red bell flowers mm. on them. Mm. And I've got two in pots outside my kitchen window. And when they're in flower, the New Hollands and the, spi- and the Eastern Spine. Yeah. Bills just love them. They're they always do. going over them, collecting the nectar out of them. Yep. And they'll live in a pot for I don't know how long. Yeah, I can remember right. our old friend Ian Nichols used to have one in a disgusting green well, like plastic a, basket. Yeah. You know, one of those yeah. things that were very popular back in the 60s. Yeah. And he used to have one that would have trailed probably a metre and a half, and every year at the um, Royal Melbourne show, he used to have his stall down there, and he'd have his big agapetes hanging at the back of the stall, and he'd sell hundreds of tubes of them, you know, and and it was... Well, it's like an epiphyte, you know, a lot of those type of things, Mm. yeah. And they get edible berries. Yep, Yep. there you go. Because they're neotropical blueberries, there you go. Okay, on to another query from the outside line. A caller has a white crepe myrtle, it's seven years old. She wants to know, should she cut off some of the twiggy little branches? The twiggy bits don't intrude onto the path. So she yeah. just wants to know, should she yeah. tidy it up? Yeah, Crape myrtles are very prunable. I mean, I get annoyed when people cut mm. them back to make them look like coat hangers. Um, uh, that's right, they destroy that beautiful form. Yeah, there. so yeah. I would allow the form, but the twiggy things, yeah, yeah she could easily yeah. take yeah. them out. Um, and in fact, if anything, it might actually show off the structure of the tree better. Yes, it might. So, yes, I'd certainly be quite happy to yep. remove little twiggy branches out of my crepe myrtle. Okay. I just wouldn't take the top off. Yep. Okay, here's another one. Jan, a caller, has an imperial mandarin dwarf and she has repotted it but thinks she should now put it into a deeper pot. Can she repot it again having just potted it? 
Well, if you just potted it, it probably doesn't matter because it won't have really grown into the new pot particularly. That's right. That's right. But I wouldn't be fiddling with citrus trees at this time of the year. It's too cold. Yeah, October or something. Yeah. They'll yeah. sulk. Yeah, they will sulk. So I, any citrus tree I was going to repot or plant out, mm. I would wait until the spring set in. Mm. So the ground starts to warm up. The citrus tree hits the ground running. It gets itself established before the next cold weather sets in. So if she's... Repotted it now. That was probably a question she should have asked before she repotted it, but nonetheless, it's been done. I just think I'd leave it until a little later. Mm, right. Yes, yeah. but, but you, she obviously, if it's just been repotted, it's not going to actually disturb it well, any further. Well, it's been disturbed, so and the yeah. soil will still be loose around yeah. it. So, so you could, but you know, the best time to do them is when the weather's warming up. Yep. Okay. And uh, we've also got a query, Roger, for you. Lindy wants to know where are kangaroo apples. Now, I don't know what she means by that question. Is it where are they growing, where are they available? mm, It's a local plant from from Melbourne area, kangaroo apples. There's a couple of different types. Um, But uh, they're pretty widespread. Mm. And they're a type of plant. They're a pioneer plant when they come up. We had heaps of it come up at Mount Maston after the Ash Wednesday bushfires. It was all over the mountain in areas you'd never seen it before, but suddenly up comes the kangaroo apple. So the seed must have been there for an awfully long time. Yeah, the seed lasts a long time. But, um, yeah, so uh, they're they're quite widespread, kangaroo Mm. apples. But they oh, don't last forever. No, so, they grow like fury, but they yeah. don't live terribly long. That's do they? right. If you get that's part of nature. You know, after a fire, it stabilises the soil so that the mm-hmm. next rain doesn't run it all down the hill. They've got a purpose, but don't expect them to outlive you. Yeah, and if you get five years, you've done pretty well. Yeah. Mm. But they're quite a handsome-looking plant when they're oh, young and vigorous. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the foliage is glossy and attractive, and the purpley-blue potato-type flowers on oh, it are yeah. rather handsome. And the and fruit the, looks all right, I suppose. Yeah, don't don't eat the fruit until they're really, 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 really ripe. And then you probably won't like them anyway, but, you know, they are edible when they're really, 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 really the ripe. Toxic when they're greener. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yes. So like eating a green spud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we've got about three or four minutes, Stephen, so let's tackle a couple of plants. All right, well, I did actually bring a Daphne along, Daphne hybrida. It's one of the early hybrids between two of the evergreen Daphnes. It's not actually one of the most shapely of Daphnes, but it makes uh, quite a pleasant shrub, but it's fairly open and and one could say slightly leggy. Uh, It gets fairly rich, dark pink flowers on it. It is perfumed, and occasionally you come across it, but it's not very often seen. Its foliage is nice and glossy and about half the size of the classical Daphne odora, Um, so it's just a variation on the theme. I mean, it's probably not something you're going to see around for sale very often, but it was in flower, and I thought I'd bring it along. Mm. Uh, I bought a snowdrop. Uh, They're coming out now, so Galanthus, this one's Galanthus elwisii, but there's a whole range of them, and they're all green and white things. Uh, So why people get so excited and they want 150 different varieties of Galanthus, I've never been able to work out. But it's a pretty plant, and a clump of one variety is generally enough for most people. You don't need... Well, I sell about eight or nine different Galanthus, but they all look fairly similar. Some of them, if I don't keep them well labelled, I won't know which one it is. Yep. So there you go. And finally, I did bring along a Chinese holly. Uh, Ilex cornuta, which I love for its sort of glossy dark green leaves, most of which have three spikes so that the end of the leaf is somewhat triangular and the tip tends to bend down. So it's got quite an interesting textural quality. It gets deep red berries on it. I am not altogether sure whether it needs a male holly nearby to get the fruit, uh, but certainly I've never had any seedlings come up of it, and it's certainly not on any weed lists. So if you're going to have a holly at all, maybe the Chinese holly might be worthwhile considering. Good evergreen shrub for dryish conditions and will tolerate shade. Mm. So, But slowish growing. Don't be impatient with 
any of the hollies. They most of them do tend to be comparatively slow growing plants. Yep. Yep. So there you go. I got through all mine. Yeah, you did. When? Clever of me. I think we've got a couple we haven't got through with we've you. We've got a, a couple, yes. Um, there's a grevillea. There are lots of grevilleas in flower now yep. in winter. Um, you know, it keeps all the birds well fed in winter, having all the grevilleas. Uh, this one is a, a form of lanigera, but there are lots of grevilleas in flower now. We've got a hibertia. A much bigger flower than most of the Hibertias. These are inch and a half across, what, three or three centimetres yeah, at least. Really good golden yellow. Yeah, yes. lovely big open, um, open Hypericum-like petal. flowers, actually, it if is. you know what a Hypericum looks yeah, like. Yes, yeah, yeah. so that's um, Hibertia serrata. Uh, and the other thing that Roger has brought in, he's had to just go outside for a second, um, is a scleranthus. Um, this is like a, a mossy... Matt, but um, the thing that I find quirky and interesting about it is that it belongs to the carnation yeah, family. Yeah, they don't look like carnations <laughs> at all, do they? They're actually a great plant if somebody's trying to do the Japanese look, yes. you know, with the moss and the rock and the, and the gravel and, and the Japanese deer scarer and the zigzaggy bridge. <laughs> uh, if they're trying to do that look and they want to get that mossy look, you're not going to be able to grow normal mosses around Melbourne terribly well. They'll just burn up in the summer. But the scleranthus is a great alternative. Yeah, it, it's good. Sometimes people have a bit of trouble growing it because they'll find they get these little dead patches in them. All right. And if you, once you see a, a dead patch, just pull it out mm. until you get back to nice green stuff. Okay. And, uh, and I'd pop a, pop a pebble in there in the temperature. Oh, there you go. Or a gnome. And the, yeah. And it recovers usually. Yeah. But they do like a bit of moisture in summer. Yeah. But they're not like a moss that requires lots no, of humidity no, and moisture. So, no. And they do have that sort of lovely moundy mossy look. So yeah. they're and, and great plants, Chloranthus. Quite, quite firm. Yeah. Mm. Quite firm. Yeah, you can virtually, well, you could walk over them, but not on a regular basis because you no. wear them out. But you could step on a Chloranthus and not do it any great harm. Yeah. Um, and I think they're, they're really good. And we've got Uniflora and Biflora. That's right. We? Yeah, yeah, we have. Yeah, one yeah. flower or two. One flower or two, and they're both so small, the flowers, that it probably doesn't <laughs> matter much. <laughs> okay, well, we've run out of time for Again. yet another week. Yes, the, the time really flies. A huge thank you to the panel and also to Louise and Carol, who've been handling all our phone calls this morning. We will, of course, be back at 7.30 next Sunday morning. So until then, bye for now.